I wonder if you'd like to have a look in, the, in if you can get hold of a Bible nearby or it's coming up on the screen. Uh, Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, verse 25. It's on page 977 if you're using one of the Bibles that are nearby. I want us to be thinking just a bit about this. Uh, we haven't got one big talk today. I hope we're going to have uh, more than one very short talks. That's my plan. See how we get on. <laughs> if I blow seven minutes now, wave something at me. Throw something. Or, no, you're too polite. Today is called a Serving First Sunday. Okay? Um, now, we've called it that because uh, we wanted to encourage as a church leadership, as many of the house groups of the church to be out serving God somewhere in the city uh, as a house group together uh, on these Sundays. It's a good day to get together with people. It's a good day to have barbecues. It's a good day to, to do things like that. And some of the house groups are doing things like that. And we'll hear about more of that later. But let's read what Jesus has to say in verse 25. At that time... Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When you think about serving, when you think about Christian service, Stuff that we do for God or stuff that we, things we do, I wonder what you feel. I think some of us will have different feelings. Some of us will be delighted at the thought of serving in some way. Some of us will feel it's a duty that we might be pleased about or we might not. Some of us will be feeling perhaps very guilty if we don't. Maybe some of us today are thinking, oh, they keep going on about the house groups and I'm not out there doing it and I feel so terrible. Maybe that's how you feel. I don't know. Some of us will be wishing we'd done more when we had the opportunity. Well, whatever your feelings are about service, I want us to get to the place today where we hear what Jesus says here, where we hear his words about how we can find rest in relationship with him. And before we begin, let me just ask the question, is that what your life looks like? Is that what my life looks like as I serve God? Is it that life of, of knowing God's rest, knowing the welcome that Jesus gives to us? Now, it all kind of kicks off in, in Matthew chapter 11. In these verses, there's, there's a kind of outburst from, of praise from Jesus. He, he kind of explodes into praise of God. Verse 25, at that time Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven. because And he, it's almost like, you know, it's almost like he's got a praise valve, you know, like a praise safety valve, and it blows. He can't keep it in any longer. He just explodes into praise to God, and he praises God for certain things. 
And, and we see at different times in the Gospels, this does happen in the life of Jesus. At different points, he, he just explodes. And, he, and you get at these times a window into Jesus' heart. You get to see what, what's going through his mind, what's in his heart. Uh, because as he spontaneously kind of shares that in, in worship with his father, so we get to see that. And this is one of those occasions. It's an amazing privilege to see that. It's a picture of his closeness to God, his heart. He shares his heart with his father. And he's full of joy about something. Did you notice that? And it's something that he, he believes God feels too, God senses too, because he says, this is your good pleasure. Now that word means it really pleases you, God. It's like, you know, some people talk about being well chuffed about something. You know that expression? And Jesus said, it really pleases you, God. This thing that I'm bursting out in praise about, I'm... God, you're really excited and pleased about it. Now, what is it that God is so pleased about? What is it that is is so amazing that Jesus should burst into praise? What is the thing that's kind of driven this? Well, he says there, doesn't it, in verse 25, the thing is this. It's the way that ordinary people, not the wise, not the religious, not the really worthy, but people like children... People uh, without any resources, people who are poor, people who maybe don't understand stuff too easily. The ordinary people can know God. It says, God, you've revealed yourself to ordinary people. And that's amazing. I want to praise you. And God, you're well pleased with it, says Jesus. Thank you, Olive. Did you all hear that? Good. That's good. So Olive just sharing that, that, that truth, those key truth. Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. And um, thank you, Olive. Where, wherever it comes from in your heart and mind, it's God's word. And we thank you for sharing it. Thank you. So let's, if we get back to this very briefly, because actually... The thing that Jesus says here, isn't it, in, in verse 27, he talks about this special relationship he has with God. He talks about how uh, he's just full of joy in knowing God. And he talks about the thing that set him most to light. And what is that? Well, he talks about the special relationship. No one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. Knowing is a relationship word. We know one another. It's not just that we know truth, we know stuff, we know people. Jesus says, my relationship with God, I know God. And he knows me and I enjoy that friendship with him. But look what he goes on to say. And no one knows the Father except the Son. And those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. That's the thing. That's the exciting thing. That, that, that Jesus is excited that he's come so that he may reveal and bring God into ordinary people's lives. And, and it's not a kind of selected few because he just said earlier, it's not to the people who you think qualify. It's to the broken, the humble the people who are struggling with age and infirmity and sometimes confusion and mental health. All of those people, God says, like us, people like us, we can know him. He reveals himself to us and we can be thankful for that. Well, that was um, 
my first mini talk. I've lost my notes. Where am I in my notes? That's somewhere. And that's what Jesus wants. That's what he came for. That's the great agenda. And so in verse 28, he invites people into that relationship. Come to me, he says, and I will give you rest. People who stop trying. People who've had it with trying to be the best they can for God. People who can't do anything but come to Jesus. And he says, come to me, learn of me, serve with me, and you will find rest. So it's easy. Serve out of that relationship, says Jesus. Is that my experience? Is it yours? Let's reflect for a moment or two on the king who came. The king who came to make it possible for us to know God. And who came and who did that by serving. It's a very well-known song. Uh, You'll know it, uh, The Servant King. So we saw in Matthew 11 how Jesus was energized, how he was lit up, how he was overflowing with joy to reveal God to people. And the people that came to know what God was like through Jesus were unlikely people. They weren't quite the people that you'd fit with what you'd expect to find. If you said, what does a follower, a knower of God look like? They might not have looked like the kind of people that you might have expected to find there. You know, the Jewish people at the time had all kinds of ideas that you had to do the right things to know God. You had to do all kinds of stuff. You had to be a very good person. You had to keep the law. You had to be really great and you had to try really, really hard. And then you could know God. And Jesus, when he came, something very different happened, didn't it? I want to look now for a few minutes, just to get another short one, I trust, um, at how Jesus, at one time, when Jesus showed people what God was like as Father. And it's in Luke chapter 15. It's on page 1049. It's a very well-known story, uh, but it's worth uh, enjoying it and learning from it together. Luke chapter 15, verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners, in inverted commas, were all gathering round to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And then Jesus told them this parable. And in verse, he tells them actually three parables, and we're going to look at the third one in verse 11. But there are those people that Jesus had talked about earlier. The people who were getting to know God were these sinners. They were the people that that weren't the religious people. They were the people that weren't trying hard to be good enough for God. And of course, the religious people, the Pharisees and the the teachers of the law, the religious people, the kind of uh, the rabbis and the imams and the mullahs and the you know the equivalent of the Hindu priests or whatever religion you're in, the kind of the holy ones of that time in that religion didn't like it didn't like it at all and they criticized Jesus for it and so Jesus tells them a story and we'll pick up the story in verse 11 see what he says there was a man who had two sons now this is interesting isn't it we think of this story as the story of the prodigal son Right at the beginning of the story, as Jesus begins it, he says, I'm going to tell you a story about a man who had two sons. So let's have a look at this story and see what the difference between these two sons are and how they connect together and so on. Bear that in mind, we've got two sons here, not one. 
The story is about two. You'll probably know it, but let's read it anyway. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate. That's what he was going to get when he died, when the father died. So the father divided his property between them. And not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, all the stuff he'd been given, and set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth, so it was a pretty good amount, in wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his field to feed pigs. Imagine a Jewish boy feeding pigs. Nothing worse. But it did get worse. He longed to fill his stomach, he was so hungry, with the pods that the pigs were eating. But no one gave him anything. He was willing to put his, you know, get his hand in the pig trough, pull out a pile of stuff the pigs were eating, and feed himself on it. That's where he gets to. And then verse 17, Jesus says, When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? In here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He starts his speech, but the father doesn't let him finish it. Verse 22. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. Now this is the other son. Two sons, remember. Here's number two. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied. And your father's killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you, never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. Great story. Powerful, isn't it? There's a son who leaves, who treats his father badly. He wants his father dead. It's like, you know, I remember when I was a little boy, little children do this. I remember, I don't remember it. I've been told that I said to my grandpa once, I've mentioned my grandpa before, I said to him, uh, when you die, Grandpa, can I have all your pots and pans? I was in his kitchen. I don't know why, whether I had aspirations to cook at that time or whatever. Little children say that, but it's a terrible thing to say to someone, isn't it? 
hurry up and die, please. I'd like to have what you're going to give me. What a terrible thing to say to his father. How dishonoring to his father. He only wants the father's stuff. Oh, you know the story. He comes to his senses. He says, I'm going to go back. I'm going to uh, confess. I'm going to repent. And, and, And he begins his way home. So there's a son who leaves, but there's a father who loves. A father who actually loves him enough to let him go. Who gives him what he asked for. Actually, in some ways, the insult was so great, the father had every right to say, you're no longer my son from now on. I cut you off completely. You're out of here. Culturally, that would have been the thing to do. But the father actually graciously gives him what the boy asked for, and off he goes. And then the father runs to meet him, and Middle Eastern men don't run like that to go and welcome back the son that they should have cut off. And that's the picture here of God's love. And there's this celebration. But what about this other son? What about this other son who's angry? This other son insults his father just as much as as the first one. Did you notice that? The second son, uh, when he comes back, he blows his top and he insults his father in front of the servants. That is a terrible thing to do. He, he, he just loses it with, with his father. He dishonors his father. He humiliates the father. The father has set on a wonderful feast to celebrate his brother's coming back. And, and the second son, I'm not going to go into it. I'm going to stand here shouting at my father and, and, and accusing him of all kinds of stuff. Why is he doing that? Because, he says, he only wanted his father's stuff as well. Do you notice that? I've been slaving for you for all these years and you haven't given me anything. His motivation is just the same as the other son. He was slaving away, serving the father because of what he could get. And the father says to his son, actually the father treats his second son in exactly the same way as he treats his first son. He comes out to meet him. Just as he came out to meet the son coming back from the far off country, he comes out to meet the second son and says, come in, come into the party, celebrate with us. Get with the love here, get with the fact that I've forgiven this son and and I, I love you as well and I'm welcoming you into this relationship I have with you. That's the father's love to his second son as well. The story ends with an invitation to the older brother. Come in. Did he go? We don't know, do we? Jesus ends the story leaving it hanging there. This is the father Jesus reveals. A God of great grace. A God who welcomes us back. A God who wants us to respond to him. A God who wants us to know that we've got no right for anything. We have no right for anything from him. But he will give us everything. But you see, it's so hard for us to take. We'd rather slave away. We'd rather try and do the right thing. We'd rather do anything rather than just accept what God offers us in the Lord Jesus. Why do we do that? Well, we say, I've got my pride. 
And that's the problem, isn't it? That's the problem. So we turn back and we, we, we don't like this God. We're like the elder son. We don't like this grace. We'd much rather we were on safer ground where we could just do our own thing to get to God. So then, are we going to come back to the Father's love? Are we going to realize that we have nothing to give and he's offering us his love? That's grace. Sing a couple of songs about this gracious love now. And as we sing, we'll also spend a little bit of time responding. For the last less than three minutes, turn back to Matthew chapter 11. Um, and go back to those tremendously gracious words of Jesus that we read there in Matthew 11, verse 28. So, so far we've seen, haven't we, that Jesus came to reveal the Father to people, to reveal the Father to to people to people in a way that involves a relationship with him. He tells this story about a father who loves two sons, who both need to be back in relationship with their father again, And the story ends with this invitation, come into the party. And that's where we were in Matthew 11, with that invitation in verse 28. Jesus issues issues a, a wonderful invitation. Come to me, he says, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Anyone it's open to, anyone who, pardon me, anyone who knows they need it. Anyone who's come to an end of trying too hard. Anyone who just needs to know God's grace and forgiveness and goodness. Jesus says, come to me and I'll give you that rest. I'll give it to you freely. That's what Jesus says. What's he talking about? What is this rest from? Well, if you were to read up, uh, if you were to, for example, start at verse 20 and read down rather, Just before Jesus says these words, he's actually said some of the most difficult words he says in the Gospels because he talks about God's judgment. He refers to how God is going to judge the cities who disregarded Jesus and disregarded the word of God that he brought to them. These are very strong words. And and in a sense, we need the rest because we know that we, we don't deserve God's rest. We, as human beings, we know that there's a difference between right and wrong. That's why we, we get so worked up about what's going on in the world. But if we're really, really honest, we know that actually we can't trust our own hearts to do the right thing. And we know that actually something has to be done. And we, need, we know that we need something to be done. We know that we deserve judgment if we're really honest. And then Jesus says, well... Come to me and I can give you rest. Why is that? Well, it's because he's the one who has taken the judgment we deserve upon himself. And he actually serves us. Mark 10 verse 45, Jesus says, The Son of Man, that's his way of introducing or talking about himself, has not come to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom. For many. Mark 10 45. You see, we know that someone has to pay for the wrong in our lives. We know we deserve judgment. Jesus knew it. He didn't, but he knew that people did. And so he offers rest because he himself has paid 
to give my life as a ransom, a payment, to take the punishment, the judgment we deserve. And so Jesus invites us to rest as we come to him, to rest in relationship with him. He says, learn of me, get to know me. He says, serve with me. He uses that image, he says, take my yoke upon you. You know, somebody said, actually, human beings, we all serve something. Do you know the word serve is the same as the word worship? We all worship something. We give ourselves to something. That's why Jesus says you can't serve God and money. We serve something. Jesus says, come to me, take my yoke upon you, serve me, walk with me, worship me, come to me, know me. That's what he says. So serving, doing what God wants us to do. We may find it's not easy sometimes, but maybe that's because we forget how Jesus offers us his rest because he's done it all. Uh, Beaverstown Cell had an away day yesterday and we've been reading this book called Serving Without Sinking, How to Serve Christ and Keep Your Joy. It's a really great book. It's not a difficult book. It's very uh, easy to read, simple to get hold of, but what it's saying is really profound. And And it points out that Jesus has served us. He's done everything we need. And he continues to serve us by his spirit in our lives, working with us, changing us so that everything we do next time you're thinking about christian service whether it's giving someone a cup of tea or bearing with somebody who's perhaps having some mental health problems or 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 just being you know trying to be kind and gracious or, or or whatever it is next time we're struggling on chafing under let's realize we do it out of love because god's done everything for us and we respond in his love That's a mindset we need to get a hold of, to live in his grace, to serve, whether it's with our house group, whether it's now, whether it's where we are tomorrow, we can walk with him, we can learn from him.